This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. As the drought in southeast Kansas continues, many producers are considering the same options for soybeans that they were for their poor-yielding corn, harvesting the corn as cattle forage instead of the marginally expected yield. A. Will the soybean field yield enough to be worth the harvest? B. Is the needed equipment for making hay of soybeans available? And C. Is the soybean forage needed or can it be sold? C is up to the individual operation, but answering A and B is a calculation of the expected yield and understanding how soybeans can be hayed or silaged. Calculating an estimated soybean yield gets more accurate as the soybeans get closer to maturity. Estimations begin at R4, or when most of the pods are set, but it's more accurate R6 at full seed shortly before dry down. Fortunately, soybeans continue to increase in quality and quantity until right before the leaves turn yellow at R6. Calculating soybean yield is the same basic steps as calculating it for field corn. Step 1 is determining the number of plants per acre. Count the number of plants in 34 feet and 10 inches for a 15-inch row. Do this in at least 7 places throughout the field. Once you have a number for each location, average them together. With this average, times it by 1,000 to get the number of plants per acre. Step 2 is calculating the pods per plant, using at least one average-looking plant for each area that the plant population was counted in. Note that at the R4 to R6 stage, any pod less than half an inch likely won't make any beans. Some of our earlier maturing varieties may already be at this stage. There is a lot of variability out there right now in field maturity and in rainfall. Step 3 is counting the seeds per pod. The number of soybeans differ depending on the environment, but also the variety of soybean. The number of seeds per pod can vary from 1 to 4, and the number per pod can differ on the same plant. So, it's important to just get the average. Take this number times the pods per plant, and take that times the plants per acre. Determine the actual beans per acre. Step 4 is to divide that number by the number of beans per pound. In a good year, the number of beans per pound is around 2,500. However, if you're trying to estimate yield, then it's probably not a good year, in which case it is closer to 3,500 beans per pound. Divide the number of pounds per acre by 60 pounds per bushel to find the number of bushels per acre. However, there are a lot of soybean fields still hanging out there with unfilled pods, and if we get some rain soon, or if you just got some, there is still some likely opportunity to attain some yield so the option of haying might be a moot point. The real problem with hayed soybeans is that few soybean herbicides are labeled for hay production. It is important to check if what was sprayed makes haying the soybeans even possible. Soybeans should be hayed as late as possible before the leaves begin to yellow. Both the leaves and the pod are high in protein at around 20% and low in fiber. These stems, however, are not valuable. Ideally, a hay conditioner should be used when mowing to help it faster drying and to keep the leaves attached. Ideally, soybeans should not be silaged by themselves, as they make too much butric acid and makes the silage less palatable. But why do all that when soybean hay is already pretty good quality, if hayed right? If you have any questions about soybean fields or fruiting it as a forage, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. 
A key decision facing producers with small cow-calf herds is raising or purchasing replacement heifers. Producers should evaluate the replacement female enterprise separate from the rest of the cow-calf enterprise and identify its economic strengths and weaknesses. Typically, to maintain a herd size, a producer needs to retain about 30% of the heifers in the herd. For a 30-head herd, this means an average of, over time, 5 heifers per year. Advantages for raising replacements can be reduced risks of bringing in disease or disposition problems from an outside herd. The heifer type that fits your cow herd and environment fall right in line. And knowing the upbringing and health history can be helpful when planning cow vaccination programs. Raising replacements require expensive additional management that's often not financially justifiable. To reach maturity for breeding, heifers must be managed apart from the cow herd. This added management starts at weaning. The first 14 to 21 days after weaning requires vigilance against high risk of sickness. Sound holding pens are required to keep heifers in. Since their nutritional needs are higher than a mature cow, they will need high quality pasture to grow to puberty to breed at 14 months old. Sound fencing is again called for during this growth to keep bulls away before breeding season. Heifers need to reach 85 to 90% of the mature weight before calving to ensure breed back after calving. The development phase of heifers will affect their lifetime productivity. Taking shortcuts in management will affect the value of the female for her entire productive life. Other necessary resources like veterinary costs, vaccinations, pregnancy confirmation, or proper facilities for transportation, bull AI costs, and then there's the opportunity cost that shouldn't be overlooked. Operator labor, call income, or owned feed resources. There's also a number of factors to consider in purchasing replacement females. How much time do you have to find the right heifer type you require? Will this be a consistent supply? Typically, by purchasing heifers, the herd can be expanded or changed genetically in less time than raising replacements. Buying replacements can free up pasture for about 10% more cows in an operation. Market prices often play a very large role in the decision of selling or retaining high-value heifers. If market prices are high and your females are in demand by other producers, it may be more profitable to sell females raised on farm and purchase outside heifers. For more information, give me a call at the Labatt County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is a David Strauss, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. When preparing to go dove hunting, it is also important to be prepared to clean the birds and to remember food safety practices when transporting the birds home. Wild game birds, if handled improperly, may become contaminated with bacteria or gastric juices. Remember the following tips during hunting, storage, and food preparation to reduce your risk of foodborne illness. Be prepared for the hunt. Bring a sharp hunting knife, a whetstone or steel, light rope or nylon cord, plastic bags, 
clean cloths or paper towels and a cooler filled with ice. Abide by all game regulations for hunting, transporting, and storage of wild game. Field care and transport. Wear latex gloves while cleaning wild game. Do not harvest and eat sick or abnormal birds. Wipe out the cavity with a clean cloth or paper towel. Do not use grass or snow as this may contaminate the bird. Do not cross-contaminate. Wash hands, knife, and cutting board with hot soapy water and make sure to wash them thoroughly. Store birds in a plastic bag on ice to keep them clean and cold. Make sure to keep birds under 40 degrees Fahrenheit. If a cooler is not available, you can put the birds in the back seat of your vehicle, making sure they are in the shade. Do not transport birds in the trunk of the vehicle as this does not allow heat to escape from the birds. Safe processing. For immediate use, birds should be stored in the refrigerator at 40 degrees or below and used within three days. For long-term storage, the whole cleaned carcass may be frozen. Freezing the meat while it is fresh and in top condition will enhance the quality of the meat. Freeze game meat using moisture vapor-proof wrap such as heavily waxed freezer wrap, laminated freezer wrap, or freezer weight polyethylene bags. Wrap tightly, pressing out as much air as possible. Label the packages with the date and content and be sure to use the packages within a year. Safe preparation. After freezing, thaw the birds in the refrigerator or microwave. If microwaving, be sure to cook immediately after thawing. Fully cook game birds to an internal temperature of at least 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Game birds may be prepared like chicken. Remember to have fun and stay safe this hunting season. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave and with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Until the rain this past Tuesday, our area had hot and windy weather the previous two weeks, which leads to a condition called marginal leaf scorch. This disorder presents as dry and crispy leaves throughout the canopy of certain shade trees. On some trees, the edges of the leaves will be affected, and on others, the tips of the leaves will be affected. Trees that have shown marginal leaf scorch symptoms over the last few weeks have been ornamental pears, fruit trees, and maples. Often, marginal leaf scorch symptoms will be mistaken for a disease, but very rarely will symptoms of shade tree diseases present in hot, dry weather. The recent weather will be a distinction for determining a disease versus an environmental disorder. Marginal leaf scorch is a disorder that sets on very quickly. The bottom of each leaf has pores called stomata through which water evaporates into the atmosphere. Usually this increases the humidity around the stomata, which in turn reduces the rate of evaporation and water loss. However, in excessively windy conditions, that humidity is carried away from the surface of the leaf and water continues to evaporate out of the leaf faster than it can be replaced. This leads to symptoms of marginal leaf scorch as leaves desiccate from excessive moisture loss. This functions much in the same way as people sweating, and in the same way, trees need their water replenished in order to remain healthy. 
Sometimes rain will do the trick, and other times, supplemental watering may be required. As with most foliar problems in trees, this is a disorder that might look disturbing but will not impact the long-term health of mature trees. Newer trees and fruit trees will need additional watering in weeks where rain is not forecasted to ensure that they remain healthy and productive. Loss of leaf tissue in younger trees becomes a problem in the summer when the tree is building up most of its energy reserves, and fruit trees need consistent moisture in order to set fruit. Marginal leaf scorch is a sign to keep an eye on soil moisture levels and water occasionally to make up for the water deficit the tree is currently experiencing. Sometimes trees have shallow roots which can lead to symptoms of marginal leaf scorch. The roots can stay shallow for several reasons. Heavy clay soil that slows root growth, obstacles in the soil like rocks that stop root growth entirely, or naturally shallow root systems due to the plant selection. If a tree has naturally shallow roots, you can encourage deeper root growth with long and infrequent waterings. Not only will this help inhibit the symptoms of marginal leaf scorch in the summer, but it will also allow trees to find more nutrients in the soil profile and increase the stability of trees in violent weather. For more information on marginal leaf scorch or to diagnose marginal leaf scorch in your home trees, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.